You are listening to Down Home. Poet, playwright, actor, and creative director Amani, also known as Anne-Marie Woods, joins the Down Home podcast to share her passion for youth outreach and her inspiration for creating such works as Scotian Journey, The Three Friends, and She Said, He Said. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience from two black men. I'm Derek Wise, and as always, we have uh, Jay Jones. What's happening? And our guest this podcast is Anne-Marie Woods, artist and playwright. How you doing, Anne-Marie? I'm doing good, doing good. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. It's a, it's a pleasure having you. Um, we're going to jump right into it here. Um, so you were born in uh, England. Um, spent a few years, or your, your first few years growing up in Trinidad, um, but you spent your formative years in Nova Scotia. Yeah. So how did those years in Nova Scotia contribute to your artistic inspiration? <laughs> how long do you have? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we, we, um, yeah, we moved to Canada. I was four. So I still even actually remember the experience, I guess, um, of dealing with uh, cultural culture shock at a young age because I was at an all black daycare in Trinidad and then I was nobody looked like me in Nova Scotia, the daycare I went to and mm-hmm. school and stuff. So um, I think for me, the creativity, I think it some of it stemmed from when I was younger and just uh, my imagination and then just finding ways to deal with things because I was in trouble quite a bit. Like I'm nice now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger. Um and yeah, so so for me I think it started the arts, the creative stuff definitely started for me like in school, you know, mm-hmm. like way back loved if I only had gym and music, that would have been good. Um, I had a great music teacher, Mrs. McGinnis. I still remember her to this day who just, I love, she always supported me. And because I was usually the only black kid or maybe there was one other, I was in trouble quite a bit. So music class is one of the classes that I didn't get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely from elementary school, definitely like music. And I loved um English, I love reading. I don't know if I loved all the grammar we did, but I loved reading and was always winning like those contests where you have to memorize the poems and all that stuff. Same, same type of thing in church. Like Mm -hmm. I think all those things helped me as a, as a performer, as a creative. So one of the things, and I tell, you know, cause I do a lot of work with you. So Another thing about me, besides the fact I got in trouble, (laughs) because I think that um, creative kids are different. Like, I think they probably would have tried to put me on ADHD medication when I was younger, because 
all my report cards say that I talk too much and I couldn't sit still and I wasn't attentive, but I just think creative kids get bored really mm-hmm. fast and I was bored a lot. So mm-hmm. I used to either be distracting the kids making jokes or just coming up with other things that had nothing to do with what was in when in class. And I mean, I just say that because I think a lot of creative kids or parents with kids that are getting in trouble might not understand this. And that when I was older, I could look back and see like, I was just bored a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so those things started with me in school talent shows like I you know and I was like I was that kid who I asked a teacher if I could sing in front of the class <laughs> I'm just trying to remember what what yeah I asked a teacher if I could sing in front of the class and I think I sang Olivia Newton-John oh yeah <laughs> I, was, oh, cool. I was like 10 <laughs> Yeah, and all the little like white children just burst out laughing, like they were dying laughing, and I ran out of the room crying. Oh wow! And uh, but I went back and did that again. Like I always tell kids, and I went back in grade six and was like, "Can I sing to the class on the last day?" And I I did that until you know junior high where we had talent shows. So mm-hmm. for me, junior high and winter carnival and talent shows were the place was where I really started to just let loose and just have so much fun like creating uh pieces for the stage and then around that time too i was dealing dealing with you know growing up in nova scotia there the the demographic of the schools i went to are completely different now but when i went to harborview and john martin there weren't there wasn't a large black population because I went back to speak there when I was older and they're like, are you sure you went to this school? Right. But I had to deal with a lot of racism at a young age from primary age, watching my older sister get beat up to us being chased home with a knife, along with me doing art. I also had my behavioral problems also expanded in junior high. So I was getting in trouble for like fighting and swearing and things like that. And I feel like my brother, David Woods, who's a playwright, author, um, like, I don't know if he could see what was going on with me, but I always tell people that I feel like the arts and black history, both of those things really saved my life mm-hmm. because I had been suspended um, in grade seven, um, like a few times at this point. And then David had started the culture awareness youth group of Nova Scotia. And he started just dragging me to things and I didn't want to go, but he would be like, just come and sit there. <laughs> and so, so I think for me, while I was sitting there, I was seeing kids that were older than me, but they were, you know, they had the quiz team and the debating team and they were learning black history and they were performing. And I think something about that for me really helped the path I was going on because I, I would have been locked up by the time I was 16. I have no doubt. I have no, that's why like, I work really, I work with youth at risk a lot, like, mm-hmm. and uh, I get them and, and they're like, Miss Amani, because most people call me Amani, they're like, what are you, you're so nice, I, say, you, I wasn't always nice, because <laughs> yeah. I, I understand, I just understand their anger and just a lot of the things that they're going through. And and for me, I did end up on a better path, but you know, my life wasn't easy. And 
And um, our household wasn't easy. Like it, it was abusive and it was a very strict West Indian household. So for me, that's what I mean. My release was negative. I think until mm-hmm. David really started this group where I could finally see black kids just being positive and, and, and it was the first time I heard things about black people, like historically about arts and culture. I didn't hear any of those things. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like yeah. you're always that I'd be in school and every time they would get to something about me, it would be so negative and I'd be mm-hmm. so angry about that, but I didn't mm-hmm. know how to express it. So, yeah. so that I really credit um, David and, and just, really making me go to <laughs> go to these things because I was in a way being influenced by what I was seeing. So yeah. And helping him like these have the natal day parade and um, back in the day. And then we would have like the CAYG float and we'd all be there, you know, representing uh, cool. the communities and stuff. And so that, that, the CAYG, as as, lo- as well as talent shows and things like that, that's really where a lot of things started for me as far as starting to express myself and even writing poetry and things. I definitely started writing poems in elementary and more junior high and then into high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so those, and I think like learning the Black history and the culture it was just a definitive time in my life for just a change. It, it really changed the path that I was going on. And, and, and so that by the time I was in high school, I was actually in CAYG in one of the groups. That's cool. It's, it's like, it's gave you this, uh, this purpose and, and this way to channel this energy that you, yeah. you had. What, but if I just may interject, like, do you know why, or is it too personal of a question to, why were you always getting in trouble? Did it have anything to do with race and not feeling yeah. like you belong? Oh, it, it had a lot to see. So like, I have so many stories. So I'm trying to think of like the shortened version, but I, I do, I do. Um, I did a lot of assemblies at schools to talk about this stuff because I think it's really important. But one of the things I talk about is that being so young and dealing with blatant racism, like, watching my sister get called the n-word and they're hitting her with thorn bushes and like i was five and um <laughs> poor sherry she had to walk me home like i had to go sit in her class at the end of the the school day because those days elementary got out earlier and then i would go sit in her class yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then i'd have to and then i'd walk home with her but she was just I was more outspoken than her. Like she, she always says like, she remembers me yelling at them, like stop hitting my sister and stop trying to hurt my sister. But you don't realize how those things are impacting you. Um, And then when I was seven, this family moved in up the street. And um, another thing about West Indian parents, I don't understand. So like we moved to Dartmouth and I lived one block away from where I could take the bus. Yeah. There was a school up the street I could have walked to in five minutes, but my yeah. parents sent me to Harborview. Somebody else must have told them that was a good school for us. <laughs> it was always a long walk for me to get to school. And there was this family, I think the brother's name was Joey, and he just had it out for us. And I just remember the last straw was he chased us with a knife Ooh. like to our door, me and my sister. And so we had to tell our parents. Um, wow. and then I remember my dad 
had to go and talk to their parents. And, um, but, but seeing all of this, I was, I think like the way I said in the, in the school shows, I'm like, well, if they're going to beat me up and call me names, cause I'm different. Maybe if I beat them up first, I won't have any problems because yeah. I really, like, I could analyze this older, but at the time I didn't, I didn't really think about, about that, but that had a huge impact on me, mm-hmm. like on my psyche, everything. So mm-hmm. I, I started fighting like probably by grade three, four. Wow. I was good. I was still good in some of my classes. You know what I mean? But I was also getting in trouble. So I would have some teachers that got me and then other, you know, I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many lines yeah. I wrote in June. I was suspended. Like I was, I had detentions the first three days of grade seven. Like <laughs> yeah. I've written so many lines between grade four, and like, <laughs> seven, like after school writing, you know, whatever it is I shouldn't have been doing that day. Yeah. So that's kind of like a, you know, a big part of who, who I was. And then for me, black history, it just changed. It just changed me because Mm. it's kind of like having that confidence and learning about Africa before slavery. Cause in school, you only learn about slavery, True. learn about the Jamaica Maroons, but you don't learn anything positive that they helped to build Citadel Hill or that they're Mm. great warriors. You just learned that they were unruly. Yeah. The Duke of Kent tried to send them out of Halifax. So for me, when I started learning things like a black person helped discover the North Pole and all the inventions we had and all the things we did, it gave me a new sense of pride. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean, and who I was, and and but yeah, like racism in Nova Scotia is real. Like there's yeah, it's no so joke. Many, it's there's no joke. yeah, there's so many. Yeah, like I said, I I got stories for days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's not uncommon. Like uh, yeah. me and Jay, have, and and through our guests and everything, it's a it's a common thread. Like um, that you know, fighting to get home kind of thing. Jay went through it. I went mm-hmm. through it up here in Ontario when when uh, me and my mother lived up here for a couple of years. So it's a common thread. It is definitely yeah. a common thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. I, you know, it's it's. And then I've had way too much time to reflect now during COVID, but I do spend a lot of time thinking about, I spend a lot of time thinking of how my life could have just been so (laughs) different, Different. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm, so I'm, I'm so grateful to, to David. Like I always like give David props and, and, and not only that CYG, I mean, that was in the eighties and all of us that were in that are all, we are all still friends to this day. Like, Mm -hmm all the to Archie Beals, Karen Hudson, and like, we all, we're all friends. Like I've done projects for them. We're all still in touch from that time. Like it was a bond for life. (laughs) So would you say that your experience uh, there kind of led to your motivation to um, do outreach for at, at risk youth was was that one of your yeah motivations? like i it's it's um i always love kids i don't i don't know like even when i was younger i had 25 when we moved into an apartment building when i was 14 and the landlord got me to babysit for her kids and then that led to me being recommended throughout the building and then the next building and then outside the building so i had like 25 to 30 babysitting jobs by the time I was 16. And I sometimes 
organize my time so I could do more than one gig per night. So one thing too about me, I've always kind of had a business type of acumen since, and I didn't learn that at home, but I've always been organized that way. And Mm -hmm. then I got kicked out. I got kicked out of my house in grade 12. And I actually live with David. I was trying to just remember all this stuff the other day. And then he took me to George Dixon Center. Uh, Rosie Frazier worked there at the time. He was like, you guys are going to get my sister a job. <laughs> so that, was so, that was my big, like my move from Dartmouth to Halifax and living in the North End and going to George Dixon. That was also like George Dixon Community Center is a huge part of just my development as a creative mm-hmm. as well. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really where for me, because always being from Trinidad, you weren't really accepted. Like David found his home in North Preston because he ran a, a camp there years ago and all those kids knew him from then. And he, he even has his North Preston name, Herbie. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> he, And then for me, my path came through also working with youth, but like it started in Halifax at George Dixon Center. That's so amazing. I, I worked, I did day playgrounds. <laughs> I just, I did playgrounds the first year and those kids, like I'd be going to the store at night and I was like the black pie piper. I have all, I'd be like, the playground <laughs> is over. Like y'all need to go home. But mm-hmm. I did playgrounds and day camps. And then the next year I wrote a proposal and asked if I could have my own drama camp called Active Youth. So I actually started my own drama camp at George Dixon Center, rationalized why I should make more than the day camp leaders. I still, I found a proposal the other day. I, I keep those things. I have my goals and objectives. Um, and that camp, like Susie Gangoo was one of my kids, Jordan, who's the singer. He played mm-hmm. okay. In my place, Cindy Shoe, like no black child in the North End escaped me, like trying to get them to come to the camp. So that was where, too, like I really developed my skills as a playwright because mm-hmm. I would write these productions for the camp in the summer. And then the kids would perform them in the community and at George Dixon Center. So that's that's really where a lot of that started. What mm-hmm. year what year what did you do? Uh, camps and day camps at uh, George Dixon? Um, from eight, about 88. Like I started 88. working there in 86 and then 88 was when I started active youth and it still continued when I was gone. And I am still friends with Joe McDonnell was the manager and Karen yeah. McTavish, the supervisor. They come to, they're at my virtual birthday this year. Like Karen and Joan have supported me my entire career. Awesome. From George Dixon to now. Like, I'm, su- I'm surprised we didn't run into each other because I, I worked for the HRM for years. And I yeah. started. Because even now, I think you look familiar. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, uh, I think it was, um, I started working HRM in 89. Okay. But I, yeah. I was at Needham though, up by Mulgrave yeah, Park. Yeah, I, I did some work at Needham too sometimes. Yeah. I worked at like yeah. Needham. It started at George Jackson, but did work at Needham and then Chocolate Lake and like a few yeah. of the centers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Chocolate Lake, I lived in, uh, in Klein Heights. So I was okay. just, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah, we, like HRM, like, I mean, that's, yeah, recreation was, and it was such a release for the kids and stuff mm-hmm. too, but it was working with those kids. It was amazing. Like, I don't, that's the thing, like, in some ways, 
I don't understand <laughs> like the things that I do because I look back I'm like how did I do all this but I think it just it, it either came from like oh my gosh th- this day camp stuff is so boring like let's get these kids performing and dancing mm-hmm. um you know and through that through my start there I started a young company back in the 90s um Imani Women's Artistic Project and so Shantae Grant um Danita Day Lillian Ash, like they were all my youth back then. They were in, mm-hmm. it was for age like 16 to 25. Wow, so that, that's where I continue to develop just my skills as an artistic director and choreographer. And then, you know what I mean? Writing plays and booking our mm-hmm. shows. And, and it was, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like, uh, well, you also have a play that, that is dear to your heart called uh, Scotian Journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, like was in this particular way, mentoring youth and teaching youth, like obviously that brought more of your creative side. Was it those moments that sort of made you focus and go within to sort of find your own voice a little bit more? Like did they give you the courage to do something that you're already doing? But you know what I mean? For your own development. Because then in between there, like I went to Dalhousie, I, I actually did study theater at Dal. It was a very okay. um, polarizing. It's, it's amazing how nothing has changed for many Black students that are in arts okay. programs now, whether it's music or theater, where they're the only person. It's, it's a, a very interesting um, program to go through. So I, I studied at Dal um, and I started Imani after that i also got my first job running caig the cultural awareness youth group of nova scotia that my brother started after i graduated dally so dal so also in the 90s so it's kind of like everything i did always had youth arts or culture focus mm-hmm. and then working at caig because i was the director of a youth organization that then I got to hone in on other skills because I had to write grants and, you know, we had exchange trips. I took those kids to Philadelphia, um, mm-hmm. at exchange trips. We had conferences and I was in charge of all, all those things. So it's like, and I was in for the moment, <laughs> like I joined for the moment in 88 while I was still working at George Dixon. So I had mm-hmm. a lot of creative things that were a part of my life as well as things that I was doing in the community. So I was always mm-hmm. fueled by that. Yeah. Um, growing up in Nova Scotia was great in some ways, but I knew I wanted to see more of the world, if that makes sense. Um, I totally agree. And then, so when I ran CAYG, I took our youth to Nova Scotia so they could meet Dr. Malefi Asante, who is the father of Afrocentricity. I knew him from for the moment. And then we went to a theater called Freedom Theater. And I'm trying to remember if we even had the internet. how I found these places but I took my youth to a black theater and it was the most inspiring day for me and them because it's you know where they're working with them teaching them self-confidence but then when we got to Philadelphia and we went to see Dr. Asante and he's asking them their names and they were like kind of mumbling or saying it and he was like you are a proud african (laughs) say your name you know what i mean so yeah we went through that and then we went to freedom theater and we were with all black theater students and that day by the end of the day the students we took 
they were so proud saying who they were. And then I was like, I want to be a part of this. Like, do y'all take interns from Canada? How can I come back here? Um, and I ended up writing a grant and going to Philadelphia for in 97. Oh, cool. um, and that I had actually planned to move to Philadelphia and spent yeah. years going back and forth. And then they had a playwright festival in Toronto in 2000. I was invited yeah. to, and that's where I met a lot of black playwrights and artists and thought, yeah. Oh, well maybe I can, you know, do this in Canada. So that's mm -hmm. how I ended up deciding to move to Toronto in a very short time. Um, and one of the, and during that process, during that playwright festival, I met Pierre Tetro at the time, who was the artistic director of Young People's Theater. And I asked, like, I'm very proactive for whatever I want to do. So I was like, do you take interns? Could I be a playwright in residence there? So I wrote another grant and I actually got it. So that's how I moved to Toronto, getting that playwright in residency at Young People's Theater. Oh, wow. Of course, what I wanted to write about was Nova Scotia. So that's mm -hmm. where so the play Scotian Journey was actually written in, uh, it was 2001, 2002. I was actually writing it when Sheila Cox made the apology to Africville. Mm -hmm. So the play itself, even though it just, so just the time span, I wrote that 0102, it got in a theater in 2019. I try to tell people like, you know, this stuff takes years, but yeah, yeah. place in 2002, because that's when I wrote it. So I still have it um, taking place at that time. And of course, like writing that and being able to tell the history of Nova Scotia that was so important to me and and to see it on stage, and I hope to try to get it on stage again. But yeah. but it's it's quite all of these things like they're <laughs> for me it's just like everything takes such a long time and then seeing where where it stems from, nothing in my life has been linear <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> or straightforward mm -hmm. or like, oh, you're gonna move to I never plan to move to Toronto ever. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so basically but, yeah. just um taking advantage of the opportunities that were laid out in front of you that's uh yeah yeah, yeah like i always tell young people i don't know like when i want to do something like you know with my friends i'm chatty and i'm funny but then with other people i don't really say much but when mm -hmm. i want to do something i don't know who i become like right like that's why I've been able, I've been able to achieve things because I, I, that's how I got to Philadelphia. I mean, I was like, do you take interns? And they were like, what? Yeah. I was like, do you take interns from Canada? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then I made that happen. Like I got the grant is like, okay, y'all, you need to write this letter. You know, when I went to Philly, they were, they didn't quite know what to do with this lady from Nova Scotia. <laughs> I was telling them that she was there to do a residency and this is what she had to achieve. Like it was, it, it wasn't like an easy, smooth ride, mm -hmm. but that experience also shaped so much of one. I had to be so strong because African-Americans, like I was a Canadian. So, you know, yeah. you're like you from Canada, girl, what you know? So I had, yeah. to, I had to really <laughs> fight. I had to fight for my space, but there I was also teaching um, and I work with a director on a production. So everything I've done for me, like whether it's administrative or 
uh, teaching or everything, all of those things have always been a part of my my journey and my path. Yeah, from that, amazing. Now, um, yeah, so poet, <laughs> singer, playwright, writer, actress, um, you know, everything that you achieved on your own, just following your own path. What advice would you give to y- young Black aspiring writers or actors or even older black aspiring yeah. actors or people who, I, <laughs> who want their story to tell what advice would you give them i mean i and i mentor all the time now i'm actually just got approached by a young i love i love mentoring um but i think it's well there's a few things I've learned from working with youth and millennials drive me crazy i just want to say <laughs> is that like you can't like i can say all the things you can't teach motivation. So that's, that's just something you can't, you know what I mean? So I can talk to people till I'm blue in the face and say, this is what you need, but that has to come from within like that passion. Yeah. yeah. So, so for me, I tell young people, number one, if you're in the arts, find something else to fall back on. So if you're studying theater, also study business, like take a business course, take, take arts admin. Now they have arts administration because being an artist is great. I had knee injuries. I had three of them. So I had to stop acting, but because I had ran CAYG years ago, I knew about grant writing and how to do things administratively. So I'm always like under get something to fall back on. So if you're auditioning and it doesn't work for you, you can then turn that into something else. So mm-hmm. that's my number one, like that's just advice, but you know, follow, you know, there's a few things that this path isn't easy. Like being in the arts, whether it's acting, singing, dancing, visual art, you know what I mean? You have to mm-hmm. make your own space and you have to be comfortable with who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I do think about that, like, I've always claimed my space, but again, that comes from having David teach us leadership when I was young. Then I sang in a singing group with Delvina Bernard, and she's like, if you want to learn about claiming your space, like, for the moment, we never settled for anything. Like, if somebody Mm -hmm. said, oh, I can remember one time they said, oh, we're singing at the Ministers of Housing Convention, but they asked us not to sing the song Africville. Well, of course, mm. we're going to sing. That's what we plan to sing. <laughs> and that's, yeah. We yeah. didn't sing at the event, pretty much boycotted, and then had so much airplay of the song Afroville and talked about how they asked us not to sing the song. So from being in that group for the moment, I learned a lot about advocacy, about also mm-hmm. claiming your space and not being afraid to mm-hmm. vocalize like the things that you're passionate about. Yeah. And it's different with young people now. I feel like um, they, this, I don't know, the sense of survival or the some of the things like my friends, how we are, they don't have that, like so many things were handed to them. So they don't have that same sense of like urgency about anything. Because it's mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like, so somebody can help me with this. or So I'm just, it's just always really trying to, teach them like listen sometimes you have to fight for things and also you know set goals like mm-hmm. what do you want to do this is fine what you want to do this year but what are you thinking about in the future like how are you going to get there listen I have had so many negative experiences like 
like even like I was in the fringe in Halifax um, mm-hmm. in the 90s. That was the first time I did a one woman show. My show was selling out. I was so excited. I went to the fringe office to look for my play, uh, sitting at the derby, waiting for my ship to come in. It was called. Mm-hmm. On the board, and I didn't understand. And I and, heard about this actually. And yeah, so, they didn't advertise it. Yeah, and so there was a guy from New York called Freeze because I think I talked about this in an article the other year too, like his show was called freaks and he was selling out as well, but I was selling out all my shows. So I had to like go there every day (laughs) to like demand that they put my play on the board. But, you know, and I was like in my mid twenties, I guess, but that stuff is tiring. And there's a lot of young people I work with now, like they're, they're always, they'll tell me what they can't do. And I'm like, no, like you can do anything Anything. you have to believe that but again i think when you learn when you really learn about like afrocentricity and where you come from and who you know what i mean who your leaders were who your ancestors were how strong they were i'm like kings and queens and you know what i mean when you learn like imitap is the father of medicine and that plato and aristotle actually went to africa to learn from him Mm -hmm. like when you learn those things it yeah. gives you a pride in yourself because mm-hmm. that, that's really what helped me. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, and, and also I think the people I had around me, like I was in for the moment, I joined that group when I was 20. So I was like baptism by fire being thrown yeah. world of like, you know, feminism and singing and, and really teaching about women's rights in Nova Scotia. But again, claiming your space, like even in the music industry. So I've had so many experiences that that also helped me as an individual artist or as an administrator or um, Mm -hmm. outreach worker, whatever it is, like that have taught me, even though I'm afraid, like I'm I'm always afraid that I do it anyway. So that's the last piece of advice. Like I'll tell young people is like, listen, like I I'm scared. I get scared. It's normal. But Mm -hmm. if I, if I didn't, face my fears, I would still be sitting home in Nova Scotia thinking about what I could do. You know, yeah, what I, mean? yeah. I left Nova Scotia and went to Philly for a year and I've been to England to perform and teach and Trinidad. And you know what I mean? Like you can do anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you yeah. have, it's like, you have to really believe in yourself and then you're going to deal with racism and inequities and you're going to deal with that stuff all the time. And it yeah. sucks, <laughs> but you still have to find a way. Like if it's, if it's really what you want to do, that's really your passion, then yeah. you have to find a way to keep, to keep going. Right. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's great advice. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, over the years, it's obvious. I mean, you're a very accomplished woman and a very accomplished artist. And, you know, with this go get, go get them attitude, um, uh, in, in that being said, what, what kind of projects do you have coming up? What's, what's, it, what's in yeah. your satchel? <laughs> yeah, like this has been a hard, like I have really been looking at, and you know, you follow me on the gram. So yeah. I've been really posting, I've been actually really looking back at my career in a way to keep, to remind myself of what I've done. Um, yeah. you know, and sometimes I get, I said, I'm an angry, I'm, I actually have a one woman show I wrote years ago 
it's a long title, like True Confessions of a Single Woman While Waiting for Her Big Break, the off, 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 off Broadway musical. <laughs> but I actually <laughs> going to change it to Diary of a Mad Black Artist because, you know, I was so angry when I wrote that. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I go like I said, I go sometimes I go, I'm angry a lot, you know, but I turn it. I turn it into something positive or I turn yeah. it into a show or, um, you know what I mean? Like, so right now I have a new play, Why Black Women Whisper, and it has come out of just the title. It, it comes out of a project I worked on a few years ago where I was not getting credit for my work. Mm-hmm. I had to fight for that. And I've come so far in my career, like I just had this year that that crushed me a little bit. It was, it was a little bit rough, but I just mm-hmm. feel like, especially as, as a black woman, like, you know, I'm not that angry kid anymore, but there's always this thing of like, you don't want to be labeled the angry black woman. So, and then I'm, I get called passive aggressive a lot or people get thrown off because they're like why is the nice black lady suddenly being so assertive right so that that's what happens that's what happened that's my journey so i think this play um has just come out of many of my own experiences as well as like conversations that i had with different groups of women over the years Mm -hmm what it's going to evolve into right now it has five characters and they range from millennial age to the oldest characters in her 60s mm-hmm. um, it's not even finished it, it's only the beginning of a script and it's already been i've been in the uh, piece of mine arts tribute to black women in theater festival in 2020 it was very well received there Mm-hmm. And then it's also been accepted as an excerpt for the Women's Playwrights International Festival that'll be in Montreal next year. So it's wow. an reading, but the play is still, I'm not sure actually what direction I'm going with it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. um, so I, I worked, I, I got funding from Toronto Arts Council in 2019, and I was able to workshop this script in December and work with Allison Seeley Smith. If you don't know who she is, she's an amazing actor, director. She directed me in a play called Africa Solo in 2001, and okay. I asked her if she would work with me on this. So that's on tap. So Why Black Women Whisper is my baby right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've actually also been really thinking about starting my the young company I had, the Imani Women's Artistic Project. I have actually been really thinking of launching that again. I mm-hmm. I moved to Toronto to do this. Mm-hmm. And I spent six years pounding the pavement trying to get mm-hmm. funding and I couldn't. And then when I gave up 2006, that was the year they started <laughs> the priority funding for the neighborhoods. And that's oh. where Remix and all of the arts projects came out of that. But mm-hmm. I, by that time, I was so tired of like pounding the pavement and trying to get people to to support this project but i've been thinking about that just about mentorship and especially now with everything being being virtual that this might be something i can start again so so i literally this week have been like writing that down like over the years i've revisited it but i think it might be the right time 
to try to yeah. do and and it's for young it's for black women i'm not sure if i'll expand it to men as well but it's uh like theater and uh business in the arts like performing arts and it's all of uh the developmental end for for young artists so yeah. that when they finish the program they will you know i mean they can stand on their own they'll have mm-hmm. a show that we do within it but they'll have their bio they'll know how to write a grant they'll mm-hmm. know how to do the business end as well as the performance yeah, yeah well we've been uh, really happy to have you on and actually to celebrate you like you you're, you're amazing mm-hmm. and uh to know that we actually have a little bit of shared history like all of us actually yeah, um, you know, Scotia's, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Halifax is so small, right? You run into, yeah. you don't know who you run into or who you don't run into, but uh, it's exactly. been great, man. It's been great. Yeah. Uh, Jay Jones, take us out, man. Yeah. Um, like I said, this, us doing this podcast, and I, I, I have to reiterate, um, I've said it before in a couple other ones. Um, it's been, it's been, all right, hey, it's been, uh, it's been such a great journey to um, learn from people um, from from Nova Scotia in a nostalgic way, people who have an impact on black history and who've also been impacted by our black history. I think it's important that we have our storytellers um, in, in any way it is just by passing on wisdom or passing on stories or plays or or passing it on to youth or, you know, mentoring them and shaping them because the next generation is really, uh, really has to mean something for hopefully things to change to do this podcast and share uh, time with people who have done those things and who keep Nova Scotia really in their history is an important thing. It makes us proud. And like Derek said, we were honored to have you and thank you for sharing your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. It was great. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. On a high plateau, from the one down below to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow. The song Breaking New Ground from the Breakdown. Getting deep, no time to sleep as you reach your next phase. Laying it all on the line, new trail stop to blaze. It's a fire inside, a brand new path. Breaking down the sum to one, feeling free. I just laugh.